Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Mary Alice Malone, founder and creative director of Malone Soulier, the eight-year-old UK-based Italian-made luxury footwear brand. While the company does sell sneakers and flats, its signature style is a high heel named the Maureen. I wanted to ask Mary Alice how the pandemic and related changes in consumer behavior have impacted the business. I also wanted to explore her growth strategy with the company recently entering new product categories and international markets. Welcome, Mary Alice. Thank you. That was a fabulous introduction. Much better than I could have done myself. So thank you for that. I'm like, I didn't stutter and sputter for a change, but yeah, tell me about the Maureen, your iconic shoe. Like this is what really catapulted the business. Yeah. That yes, absolutely. She is, she is a beauty and a little bit of, she's a bit mystical because when I first, you know, put it on paper, I'm like, okay, this is going to be amazing. Love this shoe. It's going to work. And then I got to the factory and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to be horrible. There's no way it's going to work out. There's no way. And, you know, I saw the sample for the first time and I was like, okay, okay, there's something here we can work with. But it looks kind of very revealing and it doesn't look like it gives you a whole lot of support because it's part of a pump. It's open-ended. It's a mule, which is great for ease, but traditionally they've, you know, they don't stay on so well. And then there's these two little straps. Thankfully, or, you know, it was a feat of engineering and it is a really supportive shoe and it's beautiful. And the lines really accentuate the body because, you know, women are made up of curves. We're not made up of straight lines. And so why would you put straight lines on, you know, on a shoe or within fashion, right? Curves work with curves. Straight lines don't really work with curves so well. Um, and so then it was Maureen. Now trying to get people to buy Maureen at first was, it took a little bit. It took a little bit of convincing the buyers, but then she kind of had her arrival moment and it's, it's never been the same. Yes. Well, tell the challenges involved. It was more so about making it wearable. Um, initially, um, the, the manufacturers, the factories, they were able to pull it off. It was just more about convincing people, convincing yeah. people that it was actually really wearable and it was going to be comfortable, which is something that I know in fashion is a little bit of a it's a little bit of a tricky word, right? Like you say fat, comfortable in fashion and people are like, we're not doing new balances. We're not doing, you know, sneakers. Like it's a high heel, but it is comfortable because I spent a lot, a lot of time in Italy talking to a bunch <laughs> of all of the gentlemen that work on the industry side, getting them to add millimeters here and there, the fit and the technical aspect has always been the most important part of the company. Yeah. I'm like, I've never even explored this area, but in terms of footwear and versus ready to wear, you work with several fit models, like a clothing brand. Yeah. Or how do you, how do you secure that, that perfect fit? Yes. Yeah, so I think the same, you know, like in fashion, you know, when it comes to a size six person, 
you may get some people who are my height, who are super tall, and then you might have someone who's 5'2". Good luck trying to make a dress fit, you know, one person or the whole range of people. It's hard to do. Shoes is the same way. You, It's going to hard be really hard to make a shoe that fits the very slim foot or the very high instep or the slightly wider foot, but we really do our best. We really do our best. And I think that has been one of the, my strengths that was very important to me going into the business is I know how to make shoes from scratch. I have done the entire process. I know how to make patterns. I've made my own lasts. I've made my own heels. I've sewn everything. I've lasted everything. I've cut all the materials. And so I'm able to have both the user experience, even though I only have one foot, but (laughs) I have the user experience and I have the technical experience, which is not, I mean, there's more women now in footwear, but eight years ago there wasn't. And even getting people in school is really hard to getting, to get people to be in the workshops and to learn the technical part. Like it's something that the school really struggles with is to get that because everybody wants to be on the computer and they want to do their CAD drawings and there's so much there. And a lot of shoemaking is very automated now that you can just create something on a computer, send it to a factory and you'll get a prototype. But my brain doesn't work that way unless I've made it with my hands. I don't really know how to, you know, I almost don't even know how to draw it. Not to mention put it on and make it. And so... The comfort is really, has always been really important to me as part of the quality, as part of the craftsmanship. Yes. This is so interesting. Let's talk about, yeah, again, the, the launch of the business, the founding of the business in what capacity, first of all, were you making shoes prior? So I did, you know, prior to, prior to starting the brand, I did cord waders, which is one of the more famous shoemaking schools probably in the world. There's one other in Italy and then there's Cordwainers in London. It's just in a lovely factory in East London with a bunch of, you know, older gentlemen who are very colorful, but have the biggest hearts and souls you've ever seen. And you walk in at 8 a.m. every morning and they will teach you how to make shoes if you are interested. And so I just went, I was there every day for, you know, eight to 10 hours. You had to kick me out. I was the first one there, the last one to leave. (laughs) And I just, I picked, I just picked their brain where I had to make, you know, one shoe for a requirement, I would make three. Just because I had this exposure to these craftsmen. So I figured I would try to learn as much as I possibly could. And your vision for the company, like you said, you're maintaining that age-old craftsmanship that's maybe been lost along the way. You are a, you're coming to the business as a a female, a woman's point of view, which is lacking. Um, Yeah. What other differentiators would you say? Um, We really make shoes the hard way. So that same level of craftsmanship that, you know, I, I learned in school is what I went into Italy to go find. So our shoes are, they're all handmade and you do have someone, you have someone's career touching your shoe at every step of the process. 
And that's amazing. It is. It's something that it's quite rare. You know, I mean, everybody moves more towards automation and I kind of went the other way and I want, you know, I want something that's hand lasted. It's the harder way to make shoes, but I think it's also the much more beautiful way to wear shoes. Also the mo- more expensive way to make shoes. Talk that to me is. about entering the market, <laughs> entering the market as a luxury brand, um, maybe a higher price point. What does it take to really sell the customer on, on the, I don't know. Yeah. The, you, you have to position the brand a certain way. Anyway, what was key to all of that? For us, it's communicating because I, you know, I, there is this wonderful saying that leather doesn't lie. And I, I think that's really true. And the moment that you put on a shoe that is kind of, that's made for you. I mean, I really, I went in, I had many arguments with many different craftsmen about adding millimeters around the fourth digit of the toe, around the pinky toe, moving seams here and there, just so that the shoes really could be more comfortable when you put them on. And they're expensive materials, and they're all handmade and handcrafted. And, you know, you really do get a piece of, you know, a piece of someone's soul, right? The shoe is drawn with love. It's the idea, the conception is made with love. And then there's that love kind of follows the whole way through the crafts project. And so I think, you know, when you are able to see and touch and feel and even then put on, hopefully that is the convincing that you need, that it's worth the value that it is. Yeah. So enabling that, did that mean um, linking with wholesale partners, physical retailers, get it in store, get it in people's hands on their feet? Yep. The whole process talking. I mean, I feel finding wholesalers is very comparable to dating. (laughs) You know, you keep having your first date, your second date, they come see you kind of season after season or meeting after meeting just to make sure that, you know, the business is sound, that not only is your product beautiful, but you're going to be around next season. You're going to be around for the next five seasons, that your financials are in order, that the business is stable, that it's funded, that it's, you know, it has all of these elements that you're, you're organized on all fronts of the business, which is a feat in and of itself to create a business that has as much care into the back end as into the product. And then you have to start kind of dating your customer. But we have been really lucky that, you know, we've had a lot of early adopters of the brand and they've stuck with us. When you talk about um, the dating process, it almost seems like as a newer brand, you were trying to win them over. But like I've heard throughout the pandemic where really the, the power shift is happening and and um, retailers really want to win over brands in terms of making it, I guess, more loosey-goosey in terms of the the schedule, the seasonal collections or or the um, the way that you're able to pre- present the collection in store. Do you, do you feel that power shift happening and do you rely on retailers as much as you once did? We are predominant. We are predominantly a, like a wholesale business. So yes, we work with our retailers, and we have excellent relationships with them, which is fabulous. But we, I mean, especially during the pandemic, I really like being organized, <laughs> and I like following a plan. The plan may shift, like we may go from plan A to plan Z, but there's always a plan, and we're always very organized. So when the pandemic hit and Italy shut down. 
which happens. Everybody shut down. Everybody's working from home. We switched to being super creative and we were able to put together all of our collections with the factory being shut down. So we kind of, we use drawings as lifelike as possible. We engineered the collection so that it's still very fresh, very new, but also very familiar because, you know, as a buyer, you don't want to buy a bunch of product that you don't know how it fits. You don't know what it looks like. Maybe it's a new material that you've never seen before. And, you know, we were really able to deliver product to our buyers way ahead of even of most brands, because we kind of, you know, we work with the factories, we skipped out a few processes of sampling, and then we took that process into the back end once we knew, you know, what was bought. And it worked out really well for us. Yeah. What were those retailers out of the gate? All in the UK? Did you have US retailers at first? Everywhere. Um, Out of the gate from the beginning, we you know, we were really lucky that we kind of had a little bit of a worldwide adoption. So we definitely, we had great retailers in the Middle East. We had fabulous retailers in London and Paris and also in the U.S. as well. Oh my gosh. We have to get into this Middle East business. I know there's a booming business happening there. Yeah, it's Tell amazing. Me about your customer there and yeah, and how large of a percentage that that takes up or that makes up right now. Um, So uh, the U.S., well, the Middle East is... It's one of my more uh, more favorite customers just because she's such a confident lady. And it's, you know, there's no trend. It's not, we're not trend following. She's confident. She leads the trends. She knows what she wants and she buys it. Um, They love, I mean, they really understand our messaging when it comes to what I perceive luxury really as, which is this beautiful, handcrafted, handmade product. They, you know, they really understand that. They get it. They're, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's my perception, but I don't feel that there's as much of that pressure for the fast fashion. They want something that's beautiful. They want something that's special. And yeah, I mean, they, I, I love, they are true connoisseurs of fashion. And so it really, it really works. Out of the gate, you've been around eight years, eight years now, but um, being a global, a global company that's shipping to so many parts of the world in the last three years, tell me about the obstacles that you've experienced there. A lot of obstacles, a lot of them. Um, Shipping, I think shipping, especially is one of those things that probably most people don't realize how hard it's been, right? I mean, you just, you're, most people are used to having beautiful product just kind of arrive, whether it is, you know, from an Amazon package or whether it's to your store, but getting product when fuel fuel prices are skyrocketing and, you know, there's not as many planes and you definitely can't do shipping overseas because, you know, you might as well skip a season. You'll get your product three months later. Like ships just can't go that fast. But I have a really phenomenal team. And, you know, we have a really fantastic partners in Italy, whether it is both our manufacturing and then our warehousing as well. And so for the most part, we have been early in all of our shipping throughout the whole pandemic, which is actually something I'm very proud of. 
I mean, it is the exception to the rule. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, it seems like you had a pretty smooth sailing pandemic. Um, gosh, if, if there's one takeaway or one challenge that you really conquered and maybe maybe shifted your direction um, moving forward, what would what would you say that was? Um, I mean, agility is I, agility is something that I really prize in the business. I get. I mean, one of the things we've done from the beginning, from the very beginning, is listen to our, you know, to our partners, whether they're wholesalers, whether they're manufacturers, and then obviously our customers as well. Like, really listen, because they'll tell you what they want, or they'll tell you, you know, what they can do, what they can't do. Like, of course, you know, I see our manufacturing partners as partners. They're part of my family. They've been with us for eight years. If you can't work with this material for one reason or another, please tell me because this is a two-way street. Our consumers, if you, I mean, like boots is something that we we have a big demand for. But for the most part, you know, we kind of make high heels. But if you want boots, we will give you boots. (laughs) So I think it's, you know, as a fashion company or even, I mean, any kind of luxury company, it's really important to just to stop and listen every now and then and kind of take that on board, which in the beginning as a creative was not always the easiest thing to do. But I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy that I've, I've kind of embraced it because it's, you know, it's easier to give people what they want. And everybody has, you know, as a creative, there's, there's two things because you're here to deliver your vision but at the same time, everybody has big expectations of your vision that probably don't always line up with you. And so there's finding that happy medium of being really authentic in what you give, but then at the same time being able to meet expectations. Because if you're giving a bunch of product that nobody wants, then you don't really have much of a business. Right. Where are you hearing from the customer? Are they actively in, in maybe it's in, in an email or in comment section, just um, being like forthright about what, what I would rather have this. Um, are you queuing this? Like saying we're in product development for fall. What do you want to see? Like, where are you getting the data? Is it just in, in their behavior and what they are buying and leaning into? Yes, that. And we also did something, you know, really crazy during the pandemic. And we opened up a store in Mount street in London. Yes which has been an amazing window. I will say retail is a completely different business than wholesale, which is, you know, kind of scary sometimes, but also a lot of learnings, which is great. And it gives us that direct to consumer, which is really amazing to be able to actually talk to people and listen and learn and, you know, try things on. But before that, before we had this wonderful window, we would do we would talk to sales reps like the you know the people who are on the floor as well as buyers we're going to take a quick break stay with us did this conversation with the customer the feedback did this really um inform I, the expansion to sneakers the expansion to menswear um maybe further further category expansion what what's happened so far um so sneakers was, well, sneakers been such a hot commodity for such a long time. We had demand to go into sneakers years before we did. But I don't love the idea of just 
following a trend. So when everybody's like, oh, sneakers is the hottest product in the world. I don't, a little, there's a bit of my heart that's like, yep, nope, we're not doing sneakers. (laughs) (laughs) Then, sorry, (laughs) I just, I can't, I don't know, I can't, I can't be so trend focused as a, like, my soul can't be so trend focused. Uh, So we delivered sneakers when the timing felt right. And luckily we did it kind of right, right at the beginning of the pandemic, Um, so that worked out really well because everybody switches to something more comfortable. Um, men's is a product category that I, I love because I began learning shoemaking through men's patterns because cord wainers was tied to German street. And so the tradition of shoemaking is focused all around men's patterns. You have your court shoe, your open lace construction, closed lace construction, and a boot, And then, you know, women's, you kind of branch off from there. And they're like, if you want to do a strappy sandal, go for it. But you have to learn how to do an Oxford and a Darby. So for me, that was kind of a big, that was a very meaningful push into like, look, we really can make beautiful shoes. We really do have all of the expertise, all of the technical know-how. This is not just, we got lucky, (laughs) (laughs) kind of thing. And then now, after a few years in the making, we're going into handbags, which we will be launching for our holiday collection. And I'm super excited about that. I Handbags is also taught next to shoes. It's a separate course, but it's taught next to shoes in cord wainers. And so, I don't know, I always just had a little bit of a fascination peeking in and seeing what they're doing. And you know, how their construction is different and similar to ours at the same time. That is exciting. I was going to ask why handbags, because I was on your Instagram today and in your stories. I mean, a lot of, I I would love to hear about how you're working with influencers, but a lot of the imagery, it was very much like a bag next to shoes. Like, I think that's how, you know, somebody shows off their shoes or showing off their accessories and it kind of goes hand in hand and it would make great sense. I love this. Yeah, I kind of love a little matchy-matchy. Like, it's kind of exciting, right? It actually makes me feel very grown up to be like, my handbag matches my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how you're envisioning it? It's the same. Like, maybe she's wearing it to the office. Maybe she's wearing it to go out. It's the same vibe. You're not going to... Will there be casual handbags as well? Like... We have a weekend. Yeah, we do. We have some softer constructions, which are great. And we have, I mean, I refer to it as like a lady like bag, but you know, it's the very classic kind of structured purse, which I love. And then we have some more, you know, we have sparkly and we have softer ones, which came out beautiful. We've used like our crust blown up and it kind of works as the, the clip on the bag. Or the, and the handles. Very exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I know that by the time this podcast airs, that will have launched. Talk to me about the launch strategy. If like pre-holiday was key here and what, what else you're doing to get the word out? So handbags, we actually did exclusive first uh, with one of our retailers in the Middle East. And then now is when the exclusivity launch and we can bring it to the rest of the world which is very exciting. It's, you know, we really try to work with a holistic, you know, 360 strategy of 
of the influencers and, you know, kind of that organic seating because what's the point of doing handbags if you don't get to see how everybody does them all differently, right? Like how this person's dressing them and that influencer just, you know, paired it in a totally different way. And I don't, to me, that's one of the most beautiful parts of social media, even fashion on social media is getting to see how everybody styles things a little bit differently, but it's still the same product. Is your, most of this happening on, on Instagram? Are you also, are these, um, I guess, reflective of your customer? Is there a younger influencer you're working with to maybe reach a Gen Z customer? Who is she? We, so we kind of do the whole, we kind of do the whole, the whole thing. I, you know, our customer is, she's the younger lady, but then she's also, you know, the more mature and the more lady, you know, the more, the more mature lady, which we love her probably, you know, I think everybody loves seeing fashion on, you know, on younger people, obviously people, you know, they're really the ones leading the pace when it comes to social media. Now there's a whole, I mean, there's just, everybody's there. And so you really have to talk to everybody. I just find that, you know, sometimes our, you know, our really confident ladies, I don't know if they're even, you know, they watch social media. I'm not sure if they're always, you know, they just, they look fabulous everywhere they go. They don't, not everybody needs social, you know, not everybody needs to be on social media. I think most of our consumer is probably is just fabulous everywhere she goes. And that is her social media. Like you said, she's not trend spotting. She's yeah. doing her own thing. But in speaking of marketing, you've done some really um, impactful, I would say, collaborations. Like I'm sure that that has had a, a good impact on the business. Um, Bridgerton, I think, was great. Um, but yeah, what, what else? How active are you, um, I guess, in terms of the collab world? Is this a regular strategy? It is a regular strategy. I, I mean, I love collaborations because... It gives you a chance to kind of play where where your consumer doesn't necessarily expect you to be, right? It gets you, like, you can kind of color outside the lines a little bit. And Bridgerton was one of those amazing partnerships. Very unexpected, but I kind of love that. I love that it was a bit different than a traditional fashion collab. And the product is beautiful. The show is unbelievable. I mean, the costumes are unbelievable. And so to be able to participate in a version of that was super fun. Did it earn you some new customers? Did it bring you some learnings? Did you say, we learn our customer likes this in in the process. We're going to bring this into the core collection. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, we always have a little bit of that learning and that's part of the fun reason why we do collaborations is so that we get to branch out on product in a way, you know, in a way that people don't expect where you're like, oh, actually that does, you you are that now. The Bridgerton collection, I think was really us, but it was fun to be able to play with a little bit more ornate textures, fabrics, like we had one shoe, Marion, who had these beautiful purple flowers embroidered all over it. It's not every day you get to do that kind of thing. So yes, it brings a new customer, but it also hopefully it kind of tells everybody like, hey, you know, it's time to go have fun now. And that just, you know, your shoes don't always have to be so serious. Like let's play with something more fun. Oh my gosh. Speaking of like something that's so elaborate and fabulous. I know you've got a wedding section on the site. Like, is that area like driving a lot of business? 
Yes. I mean, isn't the, I think the statistics on weddings these days are shocking, which is amazing. Everybody, please, you have my blessings. Go get married. Enjoy it. Wear the beautiful shoes. You don't have to wear white. It can be a whole variety of other color. I love a colored shoe at a wedding. Love it. So yeah, it's, it's important. I mean, it's important. It's more specific product because, you know, most women do want something that is within certain colors. They want the satin or, you know, something really special. And it's nice to be able to devote a space to that. Tell me about your store again. Are more stores in the cards? Are you looking, yeah, looking to open maybe in the States? What's the plan for stores? Um, so London, uh, our store in London has been amazing. Definitely. Like I said, it was definitely, you know, retail is a different business model, completely different business model from wholesale. So we will iron out all of the learnings on London. And then, yeah, I mean, I would be interested in, you know, in potentially expanding retail. It's just, if there's something that comes available and how it works into our strategy, I think since, you know, everybody, pre-2020 had this probably very aggressive growth strategy when it comes to their business. And then the pandemic hit and all of that just went out the window. And I think everything still continues to go out the window. Like you can make all of the aggressive business plans you want right now, but at the same time, for hopefully not too much longer, the world is just, it's a bit like a tropical storm. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, you have to be very organized, but I love being very agile at the same time. Like I kind of, you know, I want to think of ourselves as like this lightweight boxer that's just all over the place. Um, So it's important to be able to, you know, to move and adjust and take an opportunity where you see it. But I'm not sure, you know, but I'm not going to put anything in stone at the moment either. Sure. Well, as you're being agile and everything moved online during the pandemic, like were there updates? I know you've got maybe like a virtual stylist on the site now. Um, were there were there necessary updates to your e-commerce site to kind of yeah fuel boost boost the sales opportunity there? Yeah, uh, I mean we are always kind of where I we're always slowly slowly improving everything. Whether it's you know we can slowly improve our materials or slowly improve the website and our communications. It's just every little bit. It's never, it's a never ending project, if that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Which sounds a little bit exhausting, but I don't think there's ever this finite point where you're like, yes, this is where it's perfect. Like it's never perfect. It's always has to get better. Websites need refreshing what every few years. And then that's not with all of the little teeny tiny adjustments of, you know, can we offer video because you want to see the product moving or, you know, are we, have we nailed all of the specific, you know, front view, side view, three quarter view? Do people want to see it with a dress option or is the bare ankle enough? Or, you know, I mean, there's always those little tweaks and how you can kind of better communicate the product that you're getting. Like they want to see all of the above. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They do. For sure. So as you're um, expanding globally, you're expanding categories, you're 
building up the site. Like how large is the company now? Like how many people are you in hiring mode? What's going on there? Um, you know, I mean, that is always kind of, that's always kind of adjusting to, we are not in a massive hiring mode. I don't know that that is the smartest thing to do right now. Um, but we're trying to, you know, I would rather, I would rather grow the company from within. So it's really important that when we take, you know, that when we take somebody on that, this is a relationship that's going to benefit them and it's going to benefit us. And so I really want to see people grow and evolve within the company. And if that means that, you know, you start working in comms team and then you're like, absolutely, I actually want to go work in, you know, in the e-commerce. Okay, great. Let's do it. Like, let's, you know, let's move people around to where they're strongest, to where they're growing, to where their heart is and kind of, and kind of grow from there. Yeah. And do you need feet on the ground in the States, in, in the Middle East, like as you're growing those businesses, um, as you see it? Our, right now, I mean, I, our most important feet on the ground, in my view, is the, um, is Italy. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to have people in the factories, you know, making contact. Hi, how's it going? How's things going? Where are we with this and that? We do make regular trips everywhere to go talk because, you know, our relationship with our wholesalers is critical. So I want to know if you're struggling with a product. I want to, I mean, that is a combination between calls and emails and checking in and then also going to see, doing staff trainings on product. And so, yes. For sure. We're back to traveling well, but, is what that means. <laughs> we took yeah. a two-year hiatus and now we're back to traveling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems fun right now at this point. Probably you're like, we'll enjoy it until we get sick of it. <laughs> um, but what's what are the, what's in store for holiday? We're launching our handbags. So that is that is a big is a big thing. And then also, you know, holidays are time to give something a little bit more special and a little bit more playful. And, you know, hopefully that's the time when like the crystals can come out and the, you know, the, the disco ball, shiny gold, or, you know, shiny gold, shiny silver. So it's it's something always a little bit, I don't know. It's something that's a little bit more fun. That's exciting. Yeah. Liz and my team wrote about the comeback of silver and bling and night looks anyway. You know, I am (laughs) so excited at that. I'm so excited for that. I'm like, I will wear crystal shoes to a 9 a.m. meeting at this point. Like, please bring out the crystals. Thankfully, I work in fashion and I'm not working somewhere where that is very taboo. Bring on the crystals. I love it. Exactly. (laughs) Well, oh my gosh, I have to ask um, on the men's side. I, just the the style of your your iconic shoe and how it's kind of a slide on. Um, anyway, are you doing any mules for guys? I follow this account called Mule Boys, and it's mm-hmm. like amazing. <laughs> yes, yes, love that account. Yes, we do, we do. So we have you know the collapsible back option, and then we do have a mule for man for men, which I actually love. It's super chic. I would wear it myself. Um, but it is quite, you know, it's got that lovely kind of manly square toe. Nice. So, nice. yes, I think men, men, men like slides too. I mean, we have sandals coming for spring. We always do. And then, but I think men like mules Heck too. Yeah. I mean, like 
yeah. says the Instagram account. Oh my gosh. Anything else we can expect in the year <laughs> exactly. ahead? Further growth, further expansion. I mean, you've, you've talked about a lot already. Yeah, we're busy. We're really busy. Space, yeah. We're really busy kind of, yeah, adjusting, adjusting to whatever the world throws at us at this point. And then, you know, how much we can keep our, how much we can keep our plans and how much we have to adjust our plans, which is, you know what, it's exciting. It's not, you know, it's not boring. It's exciting. It so is. Well, excited to see the bags, to follow the launch. Congratulations. And Mary Alice, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.